You're listening to the God Stories Radio Podcast with Mike, Fritz, and Tina. Listen to us live on the Mixler app. Also, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio and you will never miss an episode. God Stories Radio, Session 212. I'm Fred. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. What's going on, guys? It's Thursday night. It is. It's been, it seems like forever since the last one. No place I'd rather be than right here. Absolutely. How's your week been, Mikey? My week? Same old stuff. <laughs> ah, come on, man. It is right in the wave. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I'm just uh, continuing, you know, to try and, as uh, the message went through this past weekend, uh, Hang in there. Hold on. It's coming. It is. I believe it. I got a front row seat for it. <laughs> Amen to that. How are you doing over there, babe? Great. Great. Just a little sleepy, but doing well. I know, right? You've had a big day uh, out at the uh, Star Wars land attraction, or yeah. what, what are they officially calling that? Um, it's Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and they had a cast uh, experience preview uh, for us so it was really really a treat to get to enjoy and and go with my uh son to experience it fantastic he enjoyed it oh yeah he had a great time i'm sure yeah man wonderful. that is great i'm just not used to that heat <laughs> oh i bet it's brutal <laughs> it really was <laughs> Woo! i'm telling you what it's I'd, beginning of august that's right i'm not going to hell <laughs> i promise you that i uh -huh. can't take the florida heat nevertheless no way no way uh -uh. so how was your week my week has been very very busy uh we're uh ramping up for a global leadership summit at the church uh greg rochelle's group and it's a live uh satellite feed and it's, it's a big deal i've really enjoyed you know preparing for it and uh and then schools back in and we have a a big chamber breakfast for all the teachers it's uh about to get crazy but i love it i love crazy <laughs> all right any any shout outs new countries facebook likes yes so we have a facebook like oh, this week I'm so glad so we want to say thank you to justice bjork justice thank justice, you thank so you much for liking us on facebook welcome to the gsr family yes and we have a new country all right, hang on. We take a week off? I know. Really? Yeah. Must be a birthday present. How about that? <laughs> a new country, country number 97, the Ukraine. 
the Ukraine. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Welcome all our brothers and sisters from the Ukraine. So you might remember uh, session 188 was our session with Sean Sullivan, uh, who has a uh, emissions um, ministry uh, reaching, uh, restoring kids at risk children, uh, in their communities in Eastern Europe and, um, you know, bringing them over to the U S and getting them placed in homes and so forth, especially the kids that are aging out and so forth. Right. Of yeah. The Cause system. he was telling us about people when the kids, when they age 18, they have nowhere to go. So yeah. They're literally just kind of pushed out. out the door. Right. Yeah. Good luck. And so wow. he, he, matter of fact, come to think of it, he did say you will probably get someone from Ukraine. Yep. And yep. there it is. There it is. So we had him on in December, uh, late December. And uh, so we're really glad that you're listening in in the Ukraine. Uh, we've been waiting for you. Uh-huh. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah. Wow. 97 countries. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. All right. No further delay. Our guest is calling in live from way across the country. So who we got, Mikey? We have his name is Peter Gagaris. And uh, we, how we came to know him, not actually meet him to a certain extent, but uh, through social media and our friends Mark and Mike, Mark that's been on the show a yeah. number of times, uh-huh. um, with their Salmon's Porch Radio podcast that they had a few years ago, and they had a, a big following there, and there was a, a few people that uh, you know hung on, you know that we were you know either Twitter back and forth and you know, Facebook or whatever else, and Peter was one of them. Greg Holt, I think, was another, and there was another guy. The Duke. The Duke. And um, so it's been, as you said at the beginning, it's been a long time coming, uh, and I give it over to Peter Gugaris. Welcome, Peter. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Tina. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. Well, thank hey, man, you. Man, it's great. Like he said, it's been a long time coming. I, I just... Uh... I can't wait to hear what you have to say, my friend. I'm going to be honest. I'm excited. All right. Awesome. Do you want me? Is it okay just for me to start sharing my testimony? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. So uh, I usually started off by telling people that I was, you know, standing there right in the middle of the street, standing in front of my dad. My dad uh, had a cigarette in his hand. He blew the smoke out of his mouth and his nostrils, and he said, my son, did you give the man the business cards like I told you? That's what he said to me. And I said, uh, no, Dad, I didn't. And I said it kind of in a scared tone of voice. And at the time, I was just a teenager. I didn't understand what was happening to my dad. But then my dad said, what? I thought I told you to give the man my business cards. My son, you're the only one that I can trust. Our phones are being tapped. Bad people are after me. And we are being watched. And I was like, Dad, what are you talking about? And he said, my son, our phones are being tapped, and there are people who don't want to see me succeed. They want me to fail in my business, and you're the only one that I can trust. Now, of course, none of the things that my dad was saying were actually true. And it was really hard for me to see my dad like this, but some things would happen to me after this night that I'm telling you about that would cause my life to spin out of control. But before I tell you the rest of my story, let me just tell you uh, by beginning at the beginning of my story and telling you how it all started. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, Every single summer, my parents would send my sister and I to my grandparents' house. 
And we loved spending time in the hot summers, eating whatever we wanted, watching as much TV as we wanted, <laughs> and going to parks. Uh, but my favorite thing was sitting at the foot of my grandma's bed in her bedroom, listening to her telling me stories from the Bible. And one of my favorite stories that my grandma told me was the story of Joseph. And that really stands out in my mind. And she would tell me about all the trials that Joseph had to go through in his life. And it was a story with many twists and turns. And at the end of the story, my grandma would say, always trust God, Peter. He has a plan. And as Amen. a boy, I really liked the idea of God. Um, it was a comfort to me to know that I had a divine dad who I could call upon for help whenever something went wrong in my life. And my grandma also told me that I had to accept Christ uh, as a little boy, and, and I did. I gave my life over to him, and I decided to follow Jesus uh, at a young age. Now, when it was time for me to go to high school, my parents decided to send me to a boarding school. Now, my parents highly valued education, and this was the best high school around, even though it was a bit far away from where we lived. But there was one problem. It was radically expensive. Not only was the tuition for this school extremely high, but so was the tuition for the boarding part as well. So fortunately, the company that my dad worked for had this amazing education program for the kids of their employees in which they would pay up to 80% of their tuition. So even with such a generous education plan, my parents still struggled to pay the remaining 20% of the tuition. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, my parents followed a tight budget and they were able to send me to this private boarding school. Now, I remember on the first day of school, my jaw dropped as I walked into the parking lot of the school. Now, this school was both a boarding school and a day school. So that means that families that live near the school sent their kids to the school as well, but without the boarding part. So who are the types of families that can afford to send their kids to such an expensive school? Well, rich ones, of course. So on the very first day of school, mm -hmm. I saw the older high school kids rolling up in like the most expensive cars like Mercedes, BMW, Rolls Royce. I know you guys are in Florida, so picture, you know, something out of like Miami, like the high end parts, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> like that. So even, even the kids who were too young and they didn't have their driver's permit, they showed up in fancy cars with a chauffeur. And the chauffeur yeah. was just at their beck and call and just would take them to anywhere that they wanted. So I felt completely out of place. I wasn't like these kids. And the only reason my family was able to afford for me to go to the school was because the company that my dad worked for paid for such a big percentage of the high school tuition. Mm -hmm. And then even though uh, my family was what you would consider to be middle class, compared to these new classmates that I had, I was considered dirt poor. So all these rich kids lived in huge homes, but my dad, mom, and sister, and I lived in a two-bedroom apartment. And the rich kids drove these fancy cars, but I had no car, and my dad drove a 10-year-old Chevy Caprice. Oh. So, yeah, I was embarrassed. The, the other students know yeah. I, yeah, you remember those, huh? Oh, oh I yeah. do, yeah, big time. Yeah. So I was embarrassed to let the other students know where I lived, and I did my best to hide it from them. So when I went out with my friends on the weekends and they would drop me off home, I would have them drop me off a few blocks away from where I really lived because I didn't want them to know where, that I lived in the middle of downtown in an apartment with my family, just like average folk. Mm -hmm. 
So one day, a friend of mine from school invited a whole bunch of us from our high school over to his house. Now, I'll call this friend of mine's name. Uh, I'll call him Derek. Now, when we pulled up to Derek's house, we were greeted with this huge gated fence. We rang the buzzer, and the double gate opened up slowly <laughs> for us. And then, to my surprise, I saw the largest house I had ever seen in my entire life. In fact, it wasn't even a house. It was a mansion. Wow. Now, Derek greeted us at the door of his house. And to those of us who had never been to his home before, we were in a state of, sh- a state of shock. I remember saying, whoa, Derek, dude, your house is so amazing. And Derek was actually a really nice guy. And he said, hey, come on, Peter and guys, let me give you a tour of, of the house. And uh, he took us around this huge mansion, giving us the grand tour, going from room to room. There were like vaulted ceilings everywhere, fancy chandeliers, and just the most beautiful furniture. And this wasn't a house. It felt like a hotel. Mm. But everything paled compared to the one room that I still remember to this day. And it was the formal dining room. And when we went in there, Derek showed me the formal dining room. And that's when I saw something absolutely bizarre. I pointed to this big, gigantic piece of marble. And I said, Derek, what in the world is that? And then he looked at it and he says, oh, that's the formal dining table. It seats 30 people. Wow. And I'm like, 30 people? Why would you need a dining table that seats 30 people? And he said, oh, it's actually for my dad. You see, um, it's for when he has his business dinners. And I was like, whoa, well, what exactly does your dad do? And he was like, well, he has his own company. But more, it's like actually he owns a few companies. And from that day forward, I thought to myself that one day, one day, I too should make my life's goal to own a company or two just like Derek's dad. And that way I too would be able to afford a big fancy house, own expensive cars, and have a huge dining table that can entertain 30 people. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) So I thought to myself that surely making a lot of money is a great goal to have in life. And, but unfortunately, as you're about to learn, my dad was about to do something that would cause my dream to get flushed down the toilet. So when I was in high school, my dad's best friend approached him about a new business opportunity. The opportunity had to do with some undeveloped land that was up for sale. This land was cheap right now because it was undeveloped. But my dad's best friend said that he knew some of the millionaire real estate investors who were buying vast amounts of property in this new area because they had plans to develop it into apartment buildings, shopping malls, parks, and so and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And this land was going to become very, very valuable very quickly. So my dad trusted his best friend, and he bought several pieces of this yet-to-be-developed land. Unfortunately, though, it turned out that my dad's best friend ended up lying about certain quote-unquote facts about this land. Mm. And the date of development of this land by these business owners was actually several years away, not close at all, like my dad's best friend claimed. So that meant that my dad had just bought large quantities of basically desert land because it was all just sand, undeveloped. And to make things worse, he invested 100% of all of our family's life savings into these pieces of land. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. 
And even if my dad wanted to sell some of the land to get some of his cash back, he wasn't able to because there were no buyers. It was a desert land that wasn't very desirable in the eyes of most buyers. So my dad began to feel extremely stressed over the situation, and he began to behave really strangely. And my dad uh, back then believed that then our phone lines were tapped, and he started thinking that my mom was poisoning his food, and he thought that there were bad people that were out to get him, and he was behaving so irrationally. So one day, I was visiting back from my boarding school, and I found my dad waiting for me in our living room. He had a bag in his hand, and it looked like there was food in the bag. When he saw me, he said, hey, let's go. And I was like, where are we going, Dad? And he said, hey, I'm going to show you. Then I looked up in the hallway, and I found my mom. It looked like she'd been crying. So she quietly nodded to me as if telling me silently, yes, go with your dad. Do what he's asking you to do. So at that point, I had my driver's permit, so I took my dad to the car, and he told me to drive. We drove around, and he kept on giving me directions as to where to go. Now, after about 20 minutes or so, we arrived to our destination, and lo and behold, it was, of all places, the hospital. My dad and I got out of the car, and we went into the emergency room. My dad then walked into the ER, and he started talking to the employee behind the counter, and he said, someone is trying to poison my food. And then he gave the man uh, the plastic bag with the food in it. I brought it to you so that you can have it tested. Uh, then after that, fortunately for me and for my dad, the employee behind the counter, he understood what he was dealing with. So he said, right away, sir, thank you for bringing that to us. Please have a seat. And I remember looking at that guy um, behind the counter and disbelief thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, how gullible can this guy be? But at the same time, I also felt really embarrassed. But the look at the, at, the, at the man behind the counter's face kind of said otherwise. The, the look that he kind of gave me was a very empathetic look and compassionate. And even though he didn't speak directly to me, I felt like the expression on his face was kind of like as if he was saying, hey, don't worry, I got this. I understand what's going on here. I'm going to get you some help. So my dad and I sat in a couple of chairs in the waiting area of the hospital. And then within a few minutes, a doctor came out and started talking to my dad. The doctor was very patient, and he was very kind. And he affirmed all of my dad's delusions, and he played right along with him. And then he then talked to me for a bit and said that I could leave my dad with him. And I was happy to leave. I didn't know what to do. I knew that the things that my dad were saying weren't true, but why was he believing these things? Why was he behaving in this bizarre way? So I drove back home and I told my mom what happened. And it was night at night, it was night. So my mom just said, hey, let's go to sleep and in the morning we'll go find your dad. So the next morning my mom and I woke up and we went to the hospital. And after we asked around for where my dad was, we were told that he was in the psychiatric ward. Now my mom and I were led to a private waiting room where the doctor would come and meet with us. We sat around a table where we waited for the doctor. And then within a few minutes, the doctor came in and he greeted us. He asked my mom a few questions about my dad and whether there were any situations that would cause him to be stressed. And my mom told the doctor that indeed there was something that made my dad extremely stressed, and that was the bad real estate investment. And the doctor began to nod his head up and down as if things were becoming clearer, and he understood my dad's situation. 
So then he said, your husband is being diagnosed with delusional schizophrenia. It's a disease in which the patient thinks that there are conspiracies against them. Patients who get this disease usually will think that there are people who are poisoning them. Uh, they're poisoning their food or they're out to, there are people that are out to get them. And it can be caused uh, from when a person is under an extreme amount of stress and the person doesn't handle the stress very well. And that is what's happening to your husband, ma'am. And that's what the doctor said to my mom. My mom was devastated. And me just being, you know, a young teenager listening to this, I was devastated too. I mean, after all, delusional schizophrenia, we weren't the kind of family that had a history of mental disease. Mm. And my dad comes from a good family. He was an electrical engineer who worked at a prestigious company. And to think that my dad had, quote unquote, lost his mind was the worst news that my mom and I had gotten in our entire lives. What are our friends going to think? That's what I was thinking. And what are my parents' coworkers going to think when they hear the news about my dad? So my mom, I remember, she hid her head in her arms. She folded them on the table. She began to cry. And the doctor who was standing up looked down at her helplessly. I was just a teenager at a time in high school, and I was thinking, well, what can I do to help my family? I looked at my mom drowning in her river of tears and felt as helpless as the doctor. I then looked at the wall and noticed uh, a painting of a beautiful meadow with green grass and pretty flowers. And I thought to myself, oh, man, if only I could escape to that meadow in that picture, I would do anything to go through to get out of this painful, painful experience. My family went from being middle class to being poor in a single 24-hour day. Mm -hmm. We went from being financially blessed to being financially cursed in an incredibly short amount of time. We had no money in the bank anymore. We owned large amounts of desert land that no one was interested in buying from us, and we had a mountain of financial obligations. When my parents had money, if you recall like I was telling you, they were struggling to pay the expensive tuition for my boarding school. How are they going to afford it now? And was I going to have to drop out and maybe go to a public school? Also, my older sister, who was older than me by, by three years, was going to UCLA. And my parents were paying for her tuition and college life. Was she going to have to drop out? Or additionally, how were we even going to pay the rent for our apartment? And is my dad going to be able to go back to work again? Is he ever going to get healed? Those were all things that troubled my mom and I that night or that day. And the doctor um, then said, hey, listen, while there is no cure for delusional schizophrenia, I can give your husband some medication that will help him with his symptoms. So then my mom asked, well, will my husband be able to go back to work? And then he said, well, it's hard to say, but uh, the doctor said, some people take the medication and they're able to have somewhat of a normal life. Uh, others, the medication just helps reduce the number of psychotic episodes. So time is going to tell. Also, uh, Dr. told my mom, also your husband will have to be on the medication for the rest of his life, and he will never be able to go off of them. Now, at that point, that was a lot to take in. I started praying and asking God to heal my dad, mm. uh, but he didn't really go back to being the, the father that I was used to. I asked God to restore the money that we had lost in the bad real estate deal that my dad made, but God didn't restore the money to us either. Where was God? Why wasn't he doing what I asked? 
I was taught since I was a little kid, even when my grandma was teaching me as a little boy, that God was going to get me out of a jam whenever I was in one. And now I was in the biggest jam of my life and praying to him fervently to have my situation reversed, and God seemed nowhere to be found. And after giving God what I thought was ample time for him to respond, and when God didn't grant my prayer petitions, I lost faith in God. I began to believe that everything that I was taught in the Bible and church was 100% wrong. I began to believe that everything that my grandma and parents taught me about God was a lie. Eventually, I became an atheist, and I stopped believing in God, reading the Bible, and going to church altogether. Wow. Wow. Now, mm -hmm. Uh, meanwhile, my dad began to take the medication, and his uh, paranoid uh, psychotic episodes stopped. But my dad was different uh, ever since he started taking the medication. He was noticeably slower in his speech and everything else that he did. He was released from the hospital, and he was able to go back to work. And the fact that the psychotic episodes for my dad stopped with the taking of the medication was a miracle in itself. And that's because the medication is meant to reduce these episodes only and not completely eliminate them. But it was too late for me to notice at this point um, that this supernatural thing happened to my dad, even with the taking of medication and, you know, not having these psychotic episodes. Because I was disappointed at God because I felt that he failed me and he didn't fully restore my dad's health to the way that it was before. And plus, we were still broke and we had no idea what was going to happen with all of the new changes. So now it's my senior year in high school, and it's time for me to go to college. My parents highly valued getting a good education, so they insisted on paying for my college tuition. At this point, my dad was able to go back to to work and continue on uh, with his job. So now not only did my parents pay for my college fees, but they also didn't want me to get a job so that I could focus on going to my classes and getting good grades. So now, how are they going to pay for all these expenses when we had lost all of our life savings and we were now broke? And the answer was through loans, 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 loans. Mm. (laughs) So my parents took loans galore, and they sent me money to pay for my college tuition and my living expenses every single month. I went to Santa Monica College, so I rented an apartment with my sister, who was living in Los Angeles at the time. Now, my parents wanted me to go to school, study for my exams, and get good grades. And what was I doing? I was skipping class, going nightclubbing, and enjoying my life to the fullest. Mm. It was a time for me to rebel and live life on my own terms. And since I now lived in Los Angeles, I had access to the most famous nightclubs in the world. Mm. I went to nightclubs maybe once or twice a week. I also dined at the finest restaurants. I bought name brand clothing, and I was trying to mimic the lifestyle of my rich friends from high school because that's what I knew and that's what I thought uh, brought happiness. Now, the money that my parents sent me every month couldn't support such an extravagant lifestyle. So I opened up some credit cards, and I started to live a life that was beyond my financial means, Mm. and I began to get into debt. And additionally, I went several times a year to Las Vegas where I would party some more and gamble, which got me into further debt. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to live the life of the rich and famous, even though I couldn't afford it. 
So after two years of living this lifestyle, there was one point when I went clubbing in Los Angeles. And I was at one of the nightclubs that I frequented regularly with my friends. The music was glaring. I had a drink in my hand. I began to look around the nightclub when all of a sudden something hit me like a ton of bricks. I looked to my right and I saw a man that was hitting on a woman. I looked at the dance floor and I saw people dancing the night away. And I looked through the windows of the nightclub onto the busy street and there were fancy cars that had spinning rims. And then I thought to myself, is this all that there is to this life? I have everything that the world tells me I should have to feel happy, but I feel so empty. And on the outside, I had everything that people would think would make a person happy. I ate at the best restaurants. I went to the most famous nightclubs. I wore expensive name brand clothes. I didn't even need to have a job because I was living off of the money that my parents sent me and on the credit cards that I was opening. And on the outside, it looked like I had an enjoyable life, but on the inside, I was beginning to feel miserable. And so what was the point of life, I thought? Everything seemed to be just a vicious cycle that was meaningless. Happiness seemed to be just an illusion in the desert. So after that day, I fell into a deep depression. I began skipping more of my college classes. I slept in until noontime. I stayed at home, ordered pizza, watched countless hours of uh, mindless TV shows every day. I also began to gain weight uh, because my diet had gone south and my, grads in, my grades in my class began to suffer. And since I was cutting a lot of my weekly classes, I had to find a way to pass them. And to be honest with you, I'm ashamed to say this, but I resorted to cheating in my classes. And I would cheat on my exams, my midterms, and my finals so that I would get a passing grade. And one such class that I took during one of my college semesters was a statistics class. Now, in that class, I had two of my friends who took it at the same time as me, and we were cheating off of each other. Now, any time that we had an exam, we looked at each other's tests and copied each other's answers. And so during the middle of the semester, I had about an 85% uh, a B in the, in the class. So when the final came around, I thought that I would maintain my B grade or worst comes to worst, I would get a C grade, or which maybe like a 75, which was still a passing grade. However, I was surprised that when the final grades came out that I got an F in the class. Ooh. And to make things worse, I got a letter from the dean's office a few days afterwards, uh, after the grades came out. And the letter that I got from the dean read something like this. It says, you have been suspected of cheating. The dean would like to meet with you to discuss the situation in his office. Just as a reminder, the student handbook says that the university has a zero tolerance policy for cheating and that you can be expelled if you have cheated on any coursework or exam please show up to the dean's office for a private meeting on a below date and time. Oh, yeah. oh man, it was bad. That's right. This was a huge problem. Mm -hmm. An expulsion from college goes on your permanent student record. And if I get expelled, then no good university is going to accept me if I try to transfer. So how would I finish my degree? And what am I going to tell my parents? And if I can't finish my degree because no school would accept me, then is my you know, dream career pretty much over? This was the worst news that I could get. And I was now facing a huge dilemma of epic proportions. 
And all that the letter actually said from the dean's office said that I was suspected of cheating. Mm -hmm. That means that I had to make a choice. Either I could deny that I cheated or I could come clean. So I called up my two friends that took the class with me and that I cheated with, and guess what? They also got a failing grade in the class, and they also got a letter from the dean at the same time. Mm. And they had appointments set to meet with the dean on the same day as me, but at different times. Mm -hmm. So I asked each one of my two friends uh, what they were going to do when they meet with the dean. One of them said that he was going to deny cheating no matter what happens. The other friend said that she would come clean and tell the truth. So as you can imagine, this made things even more confusing mm -hmm. as I didn't know which choice to make. 50-50, yeah. That's right. How am I going to roll the dice? So strangely enough, I began to pray even though I had become an atheist. I prayed something to the tune of the following. I said, hey, God, if you're real and you're out there, you've got to help me. Please, I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. I promise that I'll be good. I'll believe in you again and that I will never cheat again. Please help me. And my meeting with the dean was set for about three weeks away. So I prayed to God something similar to this every single day that he would deliver me out of the situation. And those were the three longest weeks of my life. Mm. Finally, the day came. I made up my mind that I was going to tell the truth and admit that I had cheated on the exams and whatever happened, happens. So I walked into the dean's office nervously. He was, he was a well-dressed man. He had a nice shirt and tie. He had, uh, wore thick black glasses. And he motioned with his hand for me to sit in a chair opposite his desk. I sat down and I sunk in the chair. He then uh, started talking to me and he said, Peter, you've been suspected of cheating. I need to ask you up front. Did you do it? And I replied and I said, yes, sir, uh, I did. I am so sorry. And so the dean said, the university has a zero tolerance policy for cheating, and the punishment for cheating is expulsion. Peter, what would your parents say if they found out that you got expelled for cheating? And I said, sir, um, they would be devastated. My parents really value education. They are really good people, and they would be so disappointed in me. They raised me better than this, sir. And so the dean then said, son, I don't want to destroy your future. If you get expelled from college, no decent school is going to accept you. Your hopes and dreams are going to be shattered. Also, I don't want to devastate your parents. That's why I have decided to not expel you but to put you on probation wow. for the next year. There you go. Uh -huh. Yep. But you have to promise not to cheat ever again and that you will earn your grades honestly from now on. Do you promise to do that? And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I don't even know what to say. And the dean just said, hey, just be honest. Don't cheat. Don't take shortcuts, not just on exams, but also in life. And, and the dean let me go, and I got out of his office. And I remember walking out of his office, walking out of the building where his office was at, and out into the open air. It was a bright, sunny day, and there was all this grass around me on the college campus. I looked up at the sun, and I just couldn't believe what had just happened. And I began to think to myself, oh, my gosh, God did it. He delivered me. God came through for me. But just as I thought that thought, I got another thought in my mind. 
Now, I didn't know where this thought came from, but it seemed to be coming from my inner thought life. And I thought to myself, wait, how do you know that it was God who helped you? Maybe you would have gotten the same results of not getting expelled if you hadn't prayed to God. How do you know that God is real? Wow. Hmm. Yep. This was an interesting thought. Right? Mm -hmm. It's true. What if I hadn't prayed to God and I would have gotten the same result? What if God is just an illusion in people's mind, just like I had thought for the past few years? So I walked away from that incident doubting God's existence and wondering if it was really him who helped me. And within a couple of days, I fell back right into my atheism. So even though I went back to being an atheist, going through my cheating incident, um, as well as my many months of depression, left me more open-minded than before. So I began to think that maybe there was a belief system or religion that I had not fully studied yet that might be true. So I decided I would start Uh, studying the belief systems and religions that I thought would have a high likelihood of being true. So I took a look at Islam, but I found that there were some discrepancies with their teaching, so I moved on to the next religion. I took a look at Judaism, but I found that the current Jewish practices didn't line up with the scriptures. For example, it's written in the Hebrew Bible that Jews are to sacrifice or kill an animal to atone for their sins, but Jewish people today don't practice this. And instead, they use a system of good works versus bad works. That basically means that, hey, as long as a Jewish person's good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then they're good with God. But when I studied the Jewish scriptures, there was nothing that justified this practice, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why I discredited Judaism. How do you know how how to judge? Yes. Yeah. That's a good question. And next, I took a look at uh, Buddhism. And after studying how Buddhism uh, teaches reincarnation, I couldn't find any proof that would show that reincarnation was true. Because any kind of experiences where someone claimed that they were reincarnated always had their testimony tainted with this thing called um, past life regression. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, past life regression is basically a technique that uses hypnosis to recover um, what people think are memories of past lives or incarnations. But however, this technique was discredited by the scientific community. Um, it's just, you know, it's just fanciful delusions of the mind. So that's why I came to the conclusion that Buddhism wasn't true either. But now Christianity was not an option for me to study. At, as far as I was concerned, I had already tried that. I had already been there, done that, drank the Kool-Aid. And I was convinced that Christianity was not true based on my experience and what happened to me and my family situation. So finally, uh, that led me to something called New Age Religion. You guys are probably familiar with it. Mm -hmm. The New Age Religion, or the New Age Movement, as some people like to call it, actually seemed like it might have some legs to it. Now, just to explain to our listeners who might not be familiar with um, New Age Movement, is that the New Age Movement teaches that there is no one way to God, but there are many ways. For example, a Catholic can find God through Catholicism, while a Hindu might find God practicing her religion, and both of them can be right. What matters is that we all love each other and do the highest good possible. And everyone is accepted in New Age religion, and there's no right or wrong. 
there's only your own perception or limitations of what you think are right and wrong. But God, who the, in the New Age movement, is often synonymous with the universe. And he's an all-loving God, or it's an all-loving God, and an all-accepting God who wants you to be happy and bless you with the best life possible. So as you can see from your, my explanation, this is very appealing. Yes. And I read a couple of books about New Age, and I was hooked. And I began to believe that New Age beliefs were the ones that I was searching for all along. Now, a foundational principle of New Age beliefs is that you can have whatever you want in life if you can think it, believe it, and visualize it. If you can discipline yourself to do this for a sustained period of time, then you'll be able to achieve or have what you're looking to accomplish. And many times this can be done through the power of affirmations. So I decided to try out affirmations to see if they really worked. And my first trial of affirmations was for an upcoming important exam that I had in one of my college classes. I created an affirmation with the following words. I have passed the exam. I have passed the exam. Now just repeat this over and over again almost 100 times a day for seven days in a row, and I pictured myself getting a good grade on the test. I found myself being motivated to also study a little bit more, you know, practicing this affirmation. And the exam day came. I took the exam, and the following week I went back to, to my class, and guess what? I passed with flying colors. Ah. So I was so excited, and I was like, ah, I have struck gold. Yeah. If New Age beliefs were true and using affirmations can get me anything that I want, then I can achieve my dreams. And I thought to myself that I can finally accomplish my goal of becoming rich. So I decided to take things to the next level and take my new beliefs uh, in affirmations and New Age philosophy to Las Vegas and try them out on the gambling tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. But maybe I wasn't that bright. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing so, like pushing uh, the extremes on your new belief. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. So one weekend, uh, I went to Vegas with my friends, and I had learned in my New Age books that thoughts create vibrations in the universe, and they can have influence and power over your environment. So I thought I could try out using the power of my thoughts to win money while gambling. So I stepped up to the roulette table. Oh, that was my favorite gambling game at the time. And if you, uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with roulette, it's basically uh, a, a game where a dealer spins a ball on a rotating spindle of numbers, and the numbers are between 0 and 35. And there are different ways where you can bet on the numbers, and depending on which number the ball falls on after it's spun, you can either double your money, triple your money, or even 35x your bet. So I started betting on different numbers and visualizing in my mind that I got the numbers that I had bet on. But unfortunately, that strategy didn't work, and mm -hmm. I lost a bunch of money on the roulette table. Next, I decided to try out my New Age beliefs on the blackjack table. Maybe if I tried changing the game, this was the problem. So uh, for our listeners who aren't maybe familiar with blackjack, it's also known as the game of 21. The dealer is basically dealt two cards, one that's facing up and the other's facing down. And you're also dealt two cards. Both of your cards are facing up, and you can choose to be uh, dealt additional cards if you like. And the objective of the game is to try to get as close to the number 21 as possible without going over as you are competing against the dealer. So if the cards that you end up being, uh, you end up getting are going to get you closer to 21 than the dealer without going over, 
then you double your money. But if the dealer beats you or if you go over 21, then you lose your bet. So I played blackjack and I decided to think and visualize with all of my strength that I got good cards while playing blackjack, but that didn't work either. Right. And I ended up losing in that game as well. So within a few hours of hitting the casino and going back and forth between roulette and blackjack, I ended up losing hundreds of dollars. And pretty soon I ran out of cash. So I went to the ATM machine and pulled out the maximum amount that my debit card would allow me. By the way, thank God for daily limits on debit cards, I tell you. (laughs) So I tried to win at my two favorite casino games, but I ended up losing all of that money that I just pulled out as well. So what was I supposed to do? I was now deep in the hole, and I needed a way to regain all the money that I had lost. I pulled out my wallet, and I saw my debit card. It was maxed out for the day, so pulling money out of it wasn't an option. Right above my debit card was a credit card. It was a credit card that my sister gave me that used her credit line and not mine. It had a high limit. All of the credit cards that I owned had a low limit because I didn't have a job because I was just a student. But my sister had a higher credit limit because she had a job. So I heard my sister's voice whisper in my head when she gave me the the credit card. She said, only use this credit card if there's an emergency. And I thought to myself, this is an emergency. Uh I had lost hundreds of dollars and I needed to get my money back. I thought that, hey, if I just get some more money and tried to play a few more times, mm-hmm. then I could win all my money back. Just one more. Plus, I, yep, that's it, one more. Plus, I would be able to repay the money that I was borrowing from my sister's credit card. So I went to the ATM machine and I pulled that money using my sister's credit card. And I thought to myself, hey, that's it, this is it, do or die. So I went back to the roulette and blackjack tables and I played some more and unfortunately, I died. I ended up losing all of the money that I had gotten from my sister's credit card. And after that trip to Vegas, I went back to my house in Los Angeles and I counted all of my losses. I had lost a total in just that weekend, a little bit more than $4,000. Oh, wow. Oh, whoa. 4,000 flushed down a toilet. So I came to the conclusion that New Age beliefs don't work while gambling in casinos. Um, but the books that I read told me that thinking of what I want to have in life works on practically anything. They even claim that it can cure cancer. But that was just not my experience, and so my faith in the New Age beliefs were shattered. So a few weeks later, I was laying on my bed thinking about my problems when my sister came into my room with some papers in her hand. She sank down in the desk chair that was opposite my bed, and she said, um, what's this? I took a look at the papers from her hand, and there was a familiar logo at the top left of the letter. And I was like, um, it looks like a credit card statement to me. And she was like, I know it's a credit card statement, but why does it have all of these charges for ATM withdrawals in Las Vegas on them? And so I, I had to come clean um, to, my, to my sister and tell her about how I use her credit cards in Las Vegas. And she began to scold me, of course, and then she told me that she was going to do what I feared the most, and that was she was going to tell my parents. So I begged and I pleaded with my sister to not tell my parents, but she wouldn't listen. I offered to get a job and to pay back all the money I had borrowed from her credit card, but she wouldn't listen either. 
My sister got up from the desk chair, went back to her room, closed the door behind her with her phone in her hand, and she began to dial my parents' phone number, and my heart began to sink. Within a few minutes, my sister came back, marching back into my room, and she said, here, my parents want to talk to you. And she handed me the phone. And then I took the phone from her, reluctantly, of course, and I sat up in my bed and took the phone call from my parents. They asked me what had happened, and I told them. And then my, my parents began to tell me how disappointed they were in my behavior. And they told me that they had raised me better than that and that it was a huge mistake to gamble the way that I did. And I apologized wholeheartedly and told them that I would find a way to pay the money back. <clears throat> I hung up the phone with my parents and I walked uh, onto the balcony of my apartment. Uh, to be honest with you, I remember looking at the sky, the darkness of the night, I crept in, and I thought to myself, man, how did I get here? I thought to myself, and I started to play back the movie of my life in my mind. My dad had made that bad real estate investment that caused my family to lose all of our money. My dad got sick with delusional schizophrenia. I prayed to God to heal my dad and to give us back the money that we lost, and he didn't give me what I wanted. I came to the conclusion that God didn't exist and he's just a fabrication that people make up in their minds. I searched for happiness in all the areas that I thought I would find it in, but it was nowhere to be found. I didn't find happiness in the nightclubs. I didn't find happiness in the famous restaurants that I dined at. I didn't find happiness in the famous fashion name brands that I was buying for my clothes. I cheated on my college exams. had got gotten caught once and escaped an almost sure expulsion. I searched the world's leading religions and belief systems, and every single one of them proved to fall short in one way or another. And as I stood on the balcony of my apartment, I looked at the yellow stars lighting up the dark blue sky, and I thought to myself, if only I can get off this planet and go as far away as possible from here. And that night, I just felt like I had sunk to a brand new low. All of the belief systems that I'd hoped that one of them would be true turned out to be false. Even my last hope, which was in New Age beliefs, turned out to be wrong. Not only that, but I was $4,000 in debt, and I didn't have a job. I had disappointed my parents and my sister. They no longer trusted me, and this was the worst spot that I could possibly be in. Sometime passed by after this one night that I'm telling you guys about, and I began to think to myself, where do I go from here? And I decided that I'm going to try one last time to achieve my life goal of becoming rich. But this time, it was going to be different. My experience told me that having the things that money can buy didn't make one happy. But since I was looking to have meaning and purpose in my life, I thought that getting rich for the purpose of helping others would lead to my happiness and me feeling fulfilled. So I pictured myself giving large checks to charities that I loved and admired. And I thought to myself that if I can achieve that, then surely I would find the meaning and purpose that I've desperately desired. So I went out and bought a copy of a famous book called To Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. you might you, you might be, you're probably, okay, so you guys are familiar with it. Oh, yeah. It's an extremely, yeah, extremely famous book. Uh, by Napoleon Hill. It sold millions of copies worldwide. And in the book, the author got to interview the world's richest people and he learned their secrets. And basically, the author then shares those secrets in the book so that readers can follow the advice. So I read the book quickly and I learned the cornerstone habit that Napoleon Hill wrote about in his book. 
And he said that, the, that what you need to do is to think of a number of how much money you want to have and by what age you're going to have it by. Then you are to write this number on a piece of paper and you are to say it out loud every day while believing and visualizing that you already have this amount in your possession. Now, this will in turn motivate you to go out and to take action, and your mind will then give you the plans that you must follow to achieve your financial dream. So after I read the book, I thought to myself, okay, how much money do I want to have, and by what age do I want to have it? And I came up with $20 million. Hmm. That was my magic number. I was going to pursue <laughs> getting $20 million, and I was going to have that amount of money by the time that I was 40 years old. And that would give me plenty of time for me to achieve my goal. So I wrote all of this on a piece of paper, and I began to follow the advice of the book of believing and visualizing that I was working towards my financial dream. And guess what? It actually began to work. Soon enough, I actually came up with a business plan for a new company that I was going to create. It was going to be successful. I was going to make a lot of sales. That would get me to achieve my goal of having the $20 million by the time I was 40 years old. Now, a few months later after I started my business plan, I went on vacation uh, to Mexico with my parents and my sister. And I was practicing doing my daily affirmations and visualizations for having my money. Uh, even when I was on vacation, I, st I, st I kept on doing it. Mm -hmm. And so one evening as I was in the hotel room thinking about the future, I got a sense that I shouldn't make having all of this money be the main goal of my life. I just felt in my heart that this wouldn't give me the happiness and the fulfillment that I was looking for. So I decided to pray out loud to a God who I wasn't even sure existed. So I said something like, God, I don't know if you're real or if you're out there, but if you are, can you please show me if I should make having the $20 million be the main purpose of my life? All of a sudden, I heard a back a voice. The voice isn't the kind of voice that you hear with your ears but it's the kind of voice that you hear in your head or in your heart. And the voice replied back to me and said, no, make me the number one purpose in your life and everything else will fall into place. Mm. So I got excited. I was like, whoa, where was this voice coming from? Mm. I felt like it was God answering me. But all of a sudden I heard another voice speak to me in my mind. And the voice said, no, that's not true. You can have both God and money. Hmm. Look at Joseph in the Bible. He was a believer in God, and he also had money. Look at King David. He was also a believer in God, and he also had money. And then that second voice stopped speaking. Now I was confused. I was like, hey, which one out of these two voices is the truth? So I decided to pray one more time out loud, and I said, God, a few minutes ago I asked you if I should have making the $20 million dollars be the main purpose of my life. And you responded by saying that I should make you be the main purpose of my life and everything else would fall into place. But then I heard a second voice speaking to me that said that I can have both God and money. So which voice is the right one? And then I just stopped talking and I waited to hear for another voice to respond to my question, but no voice came. I heard nothing. It was just silent. So that night I went to bed feeling very confused. Was God speaking to me the first time in response to my prayer? And what was that second voice that I heard? Where did that come from? 
And I decided that day that I just I'd ate some bad food, ate some bad pizza or something that made me think weird thoughts, and I just slept the night off. Now, a few days later, I finished my vacation with my family, and I went back to Los Angeles. And then one night, uh, shortly thereafter, I went to the movies with my best friend in a place uh, here in Los Angeles called Third Street Promenade. Third Street Promenade is a famous area that's made up of like a really large street and has a lot of stores and shops. And it's closed off the cars. And so I had just finished watching the movie with my best friend, and we were walking through Third Street Promenade back to our cars. All of a sudden, a woman that I had never met before came to me and said, have you received your million dollars today? And I said, what? Excuse me? And she responded and said, here, take this. And she gave me a piece of paper. I looked at it, and it looked like a $1 million bill. Now, of course, there's no such thing as a $1 million bill, so I figured it's some kind of marketing for something. So I thanked the lady, and I put the paper that she gave me in my pocket. Now, honestly, I was planning on keeping it in my pocket just long enough until I was outside of the woman's sight, and then I was going to throw it inside of any trash can that I could find. I just didn't want to offend the woman by throwing away the paper she had just given me while she was still in front of me. So anyways, my friend and I continued to walk back to our cars, and I forgot to throw away that piece of paper that was in my pocket. Once I reached my car, I said goodbye to my friend, and I went back home. When I got back home, I went into my bedroom and began to empty my pockets. As I was pulling out my wallet and my car keys, out came the $1 million bill that the lady had given me. So I began to read it, and here's what it said. It said, here's the million-dollar question. Are you going to heaven? Have you ever lied, stolen anything, or taken God's name in vain? Jesus says that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you looked with lust? Will you be guilty on Judgment Day? If you have done those things, God sees you as a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer heart. The Bible warns that if you are guilty, you will end up in hell. That's not God's will. He sent his son to suffer and die on the cross for you. You broke God's law, but Jesus paid your fine. That means that he can legally dismiss your case. He can commute your death sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. Please repent, which means to turn from sin today and trust in Jesus alone, and God will grant you the gift of everlasting life then read your Bible and obey it. As I finished reading the million-dollar bill, my heart began to beat really fast. I got goosebumps on my arms. I then heard the very first voice that I heard from the other night in my hotel room speak to me again. It was a voice that you can't listen to audibly through your ears, but it's the kind, again, that you could hear in your heart or your mind. And the voice said, Peter, the other day, that was me that was speaking to you. I told you to make me the number one priority in your life and that everything else was going to fall into place. But you didn't listen and you couldn't understand my voice. Now I'm asking, um, now I'm speaking to you in a way that you can understand. I sent you this million dollar bill. Do you now understand the million dollar question? The million-dollar question isn't about how much money you have in the bank. The million-dollar question is whether you're going to heaven. Make me the number one priority in your life, and everything else will fall into place. I began to cry. 
I couldn't believe it. It was God. And he was speaking to me in a very personal way that I could understand. Mm-hmm. And he was communicating with me at my level and through my personal circumstances. God does exist. And I had spent years running away from him and making a mess of my life. I felt so unworthy of the Lord. So I said, I can't come back to you, God. I have made a mess of my life. I have done so many sins and done so many wrong things against you. But God spoke to me and he said, it's okay. I forgive you, my son. Come back to me. I love you and I want you back. And I went and I knelt down beside my bed and I gave my life back to Christ. I asked God to forgive me for all of my sins and to help me to become his child again. And after that, my life changed forever. I went from not believing in God and not going to church to trusting in Christ and going to church six days a week. Mm-hmm. A few wow. days after that wow. night, yeah, a few days after that night, when I gave my life back to Christ, I went to my computer, and you know what I was doing, guys? I went to go back to my computer to look at pornography because that's what I was used to doing. And I had a strong pornography addiction, and I had accumulated a large number of pornographic videos on my computer. And when I went to the computer that day, I took the mouse of my computer and I began to make my way towards the folder where all the videos were stored. But I heard God speak to me again in my, in my heart. And he said, delete them. God wanted me to delete all of the pornography videos from my computer. And this was a problem because I had watched pornography on and off for a very long time in my life. And plus I accumulated a large library of videos and I didn't want to delete them from my hard drive. That way, if I ever have a weak moment, I'd be able to get my fix. But nevertheless, I decided to listen to God's voice, and I deleted the folder from my computer. But God didn't stop there. He then spoke to me and said, empty the recycle bin of your computer. Hmm. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> All the little and details, like, right, uh, Mikey? <laughs> All the little details. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to leave nothing to chance. Actually, yeah. That was actually, and that's the thing, guys, that was actually my secret way of being obedient to doing what God wanted me while also having a backup plan in case I had a weak moment. So I just felt like telling God, like, what, God, now you work in tech support too? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I ended up emptying my recycle bin as well, and I'm happy to report that I have been pornography-free ever since. God set me free from my addiction to pornography, and I have never, ever looked at pornography ever since. Amen. Oh. Yeah. Just, yep. And it didn't stop there, guys. I was also addicted to cigarettes. I had smoked uh, a pack to a pack and, uh, and a half a day uh, for 11 years, and God told me to give up smoking cigarettes. Now, this addiction took me months to battle. I don't know if anyone's been addicted to cigarettes, but it's almost the same level strength of addiction as crack cocaine. And um, the addiction took me months to battle, but God helped me to overcome it as well. And I had tried quitting on my own many times before that, and every time I failed. But this one time that God set me, God set me for my addiction to cigarettes once and for all, and I'm happy to report that I have never ever smoked a single cigarette ever since. And then next year, remember that I had gotten myself into a mountain of debt mm-hmm. and accumulated the $4,000 of debt from my Las Vegas trip. Plus I'd accumulated thousands of more dollars uh, in debt because I was living a life that was beyond my means. 
but God helped me to pay off every single debt wow. until I became completely debt-free. He got me out. Two years after that, God called me to serve him in full-time ministry, and now I work full-time in a church, and I have an online evangelism blog called Not Ashamed of the Gospel, and that is my God story of how God delivered me and from where I was at. Holy smokes. I had some it, questions you about your dad. How's your dad doing? Yeah, that's a great question, Tina. Thanks for asking. My dad's doing great. Um, he is still on the medication um, that he was first uh, put on. Um, he was able to go back to work. He's able to function normally. Um, he hasn't had any uh, psychotic episodes in you know uh, many, many years. And he's able to function normally, and there's been some, some advances. So uh, he's, he's doing fine. That's wonderful to hear. Um, and then your sister too, was she able to finish her degree and, and move on? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she sure was. Uh, she did finish her degree and she ended up getting married and having two kids. And yeah, she was, she was, uh, she ended up, you know, being able to, to finish uh, with her schooling and she ended up actually, God worked out the circumstances where she actually finished her degree in, in three years instead of uh, five. So wow. it was totally the Lord. Yeah, sounds like it. So has your transformation um, affected your your rest of your family and their spiritual lives? Uh, to some extent, to be honest with you, I was um, I didn't want to go public with my testimony. Uh, I wanted to keep it a secret because my parents that didn't know all the details of mm. my testimony. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, so five years ago, uh, was the first time that the Lord began speaking to me and telling me, you know, that he was putting it on my heart to share my testimony on my blog and to write it out. And at first I told him no. And I was like, yeah. forget about it. I'm not doing it. You know, find somebody else. But you know, when God's hand is upon you and he just, he's just relentless, like that's, the Lord kept on pursuing me, and he was just so kind and gracious until finally I was like, fine, I'll do it. And so I put my testimony out on my blog, and I wrote it up, a shorter version than I'm telling you today, and um, it, it went viral. Uh, God used it in a powerful way. People were sharing it on Facebook. People were sharing it on Twitter. And even God caused it to, to rank number one. Um, in Google search engines for like Christian to atheist testimony for uh, a number of years. Wow! And yeah, it was it was so amazing. So my parents, I don't think they know everything that I've done, <laughs> but um, I think I I need to. It's, so all this happened, you know, quite a number of years ago, going back to almost from from 1998 to 2000 to 2008. So it's been a while. Um, so yeah, so it's affected um, mostly me and my family. You know, not everybody knows my whole story, but I think they're gonna they're gonna know it pretty soon. Yeah, I know. When you well, first opened up that testimony, I thought I was listening to a trailer from a Martin Scorsese film or something. <laughs> I, I was like, I got this picture in my mind of your dad, you know, with a cigarette hanging out. His yeah, really. To give him my business cards, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, amazing. that's amazing. Go ahead, Mikey. I didn't mean yeah. to cut well, you off. Uh, well, I was thinking too. Just it, it, this one just popped in just right now. Uh, what about that uh, land? Still, uh, still desert, or has it been restored? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Guess what? My dad was able to sell all those um, pieces of land that um, that ended up buying, and he actually sold it for a profit. So it was good. Mm-hmm. Wow! Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, and you know, all, all the money, guys, um, all the money that we ended up losing, God has restored all of that to my parents. Like, and I'm gonna say, like, at least maybe three or four or five times over you know like mm-hmm. just everything that the canker worm earned uh, uh, you know tried to to eat and squirm away uh the lord just was so faithful to to, to give to give my parents so much more and and i mean now like i don't think like none of us even like really have this like love for money or have this tight grasp of money it's just a tool you know and and i think uh probably my dad had to learn that you know my mom i think she already knew that uh, and then I, you know, kind of fell into the footsteps where definitely money was my idol. I wanted to copy those rich kids in high school, and I thought that that was the way to happiness. And I had to, to take a long way um, through the desert to, 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 to learn some very valuable lessons. Um, no, I was just saying you had a you had a lot to conquer between you know the gambling addiction, the pornography addiction, the lying addiction um you know there were a lot of things that you had to the smoking etc you had a a lot to overcome mentally emotionally physically spiritually yeah and uh, yeah that's that's true tina um i'd been through a lot you know i think at a young age especially i was immature i really didn't you know know any better and especially i think also what i had learned or maybe what i was taught wasn't necessarily all entirely accurate you know that's like hey god you know is going to deliver you out of all all things and you know and things are going to be you know all hunky-dory and you know blue skies and green lights and that wasn't the case and you know even though there were problems god was going to deliver you and i thought you know like, hey, if I gave my, if I gave God like a month, that's you know plenty of time for Him to yeah. give back the money to my parents and uh-huh. to heal my dad. And when He didn't, you know, I just was like, hey, this all this whole Christianity stuff is garbage. And um, that was that was my fatal mistake. But thank goodness for your grandmother laying that work inside of your heart that it, you came back to it. That's 100% right, Tina. And you know what? Um, my, my grandma is the one who led me to the Lord. So I accepted Christ at a young age because of her. And also, you know, it's true to any parents out there that are listening. If you have a wayward child where, um, you know, you, you taught them in the ways of the Lord and, you know, they're not walking with Christ right now, you know, continue to pray for them. Your faithful prayers really do make a difference. I know my mom was praying for me and so was my dad. Um, even though, you know, we lived like many miles apart, they could sense that I wasn't walking with Christ and, you know, I wasn't walking with the Lord and, uh, God brought me back and, you know, uh, the story isn't over. So just keep on believing. Mm-hmm. And I feel too, that you had so much to overcome because you have this ministry. Um, you mentioned it's called not ashamed of the gospel and it's a blog that you do. I know that yeah. I signed up for um, for some of your messages that kind of come out, and I've been reading them for probably the past, I don't know, six to eight months. Um, and you tackle some really controversial subjects. 
Yes, 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 I do. Um, I try, I try to like. There's maybe a lot of different uh, Christian blogs out there that you know answer people's questions, um, but I try to tackle the most controversial ones or the the hardest ones. Um, and you know, uh, sometimes you know we have somebody maybe from the team that might write an article. Some a lot of times it's me, and yeah, we try to um, to. To, to tackle, you know, uh, Christianity's most difficult questions. I think that's part of the reason why you had so much thrown at you, Peter, is because, you know, I see what you're doing as a beacon of light, you know, which represents the truth of God. And if people don't know what the truth is, they can never be called to it. And more and more Christians are falling away from what is actually the truth and going with more what's socially acceptable. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I know you you definitely suffered in your life, but count it all joy and, you know, continue to keep that faith and continue to be that beacon of light because people need the truth in this day and age. Amen to that. Amen, amen. Yeah, thank you so much for those encouraging words, Tina. They really mean a lot, and... I, I agree with you, and I think even, you know, just the way that the Lord works secretly, His ways are so much higher than our ways. And even, you know, part of my testimony, I think, is, you know, about the New Age beliefs and how I fell into that, and I think that that's becoming really popular. I just think a lot of people are falling away, um, and, you know, they're just falling away for these lies, and these, um, it's, you know, the, the the teachings of demons, even, that the Scriptures uh you know, point out, and, you know, all the glory be to God at the end of the day. Amen. Amen. Wow. Uh, you, you know, when you were giving your testimony, you used the word religions. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Amen. 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 100%. Sorry if I, if I did use that word, um, you know. Well, you did, but that's what like they, that's what they are. Oh, no, in the context of the testimony, it, right. it, it, yeah, may, you, it makes sense. Know, you know, you use the word religions, and I'm just bringing it out that uh, Christianity is not a religion; it's a, a relationship. Yeah, amen. Amen, I, amen to that. I think you, you guys, you guys see that from the way that God pursued me, and nobody would doesn't pursue anybody else unless there's a relationship, and, mm-hmm. and God came after me. And I think something you know, something key that you you struggled with with your dad's um, mental illness and so forth. I mean, that's not an easy thing to go through as a young adult um, mm-hmm. or a teenager, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're one of your key family members is going through such an issue. Um, but I think it was very encouraging to hear just the journey of your dad and how God has even stepped into that to help keep him on track, you know, with his illness, like still being able to cope and live with the illness, I think it's very encouraging for other people who are listening and who have family members that suffer from schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very common disease and affects a lot of people worldwide. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Absolutely. And he may have even answered your prayer because you said when they get that medication that... uh, It'll lessen the attack, so to speak. And you said your father had none. 
That's that's exactly right. Um, and that, that was one of the things that I think like sometimes when we expect like miracles, we want like you know like God to do something out of thin air, and sometimes we don't realize that God sometimes can work through medication and still do something supernaturally through it and that's exactly what he did with my dad right is that the medication is supposed to just reduce the number of episodes but my dad had none but he right. just has to be on the medication why is it that my the lord still has my dad taking the medication and he hasn't had any episodes i don't fully comprehend it um but that's just the reality of the situation right and you know he doesn't uh answer in the way we think or the way we hope or expect, yeah. Expect, yeah. Uh, your yeah. prayer was probably answered to a certain extent at that point by uh, not giving them the ability to uh, experience any more attacks. Yeah. I found your testimony extremely encouraging. Amen to that. And um, I'm really glad that you chose to share it with us. Thank you so much, yes. Peter. Peter, thank you so much. And. Uh, GSR is the king of the shameless plugs, so if you would uh, go ahead and do your stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you so much, guys. Um, I love what you guys are doing at uh, God Stories Radio. You guys are so amazing. And uh, anybody who's interested in uh, learning more about uh, joining us uh, on Not Shame of the Gospel, where we have Answer Christianity's Toughest Questions, uh, you can visit uh, my blog at Not Ashamed of the Gospel. Uh, dot org, and you will have you know uh, links to all my social media from there, from uh, Facebook to Twitter, and um, sometimes some occasional YouTube, and Pinterest. Um, I don't really do Instagram that often, but uh, I, I really need to hop on there. But I'd love to connect with you guys. I'm always here for you, and um, I love you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Peter. And Keep up the good, great work. I would My appreciate it so good. much if you'd press the like button on yeah. on our Facebook yeah. page. and <laughs> I'm going to yeah, press the like you. button on yours yeah. as well, buddy. Well, I'll tell Fritz you what. Chris doesn't like the, as, the dead air when he asks for the as, likes. As long as you all give me a shout-out on next week's show and say, like, hey, Pete, we do. He, he hit the like button. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm go, I'll, I will... You will get the biggest shout-out ever, I'm telling you what. And, <laughs> and plus, your uh, this uh, show... Will is being recorded and obviously will be posted to the Facebook tonight. So um, it'll be uh, always available for people right away. And you can feel Facebook free page. to share that on your blog. Yeah, absolutely. Want. You can uh, take it and share it. And, um, you know, you can also get it on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any kind of uh, iTunes or whatever you may use for for your listening pleasure. Yeah, that sounds good, guys. I'll probably share it with. I'll send an email out um, next next week uh, and tell people, hey, go listen to it and check it out. Oh, okay. that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Yep. I'd love that. Yep. Don't be afraid to uh, go ahead and post it on your own um, on your own. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Site as well. Oh, cool! Thank you so much, guys. Mm -hmm. I want to go visit them. Yeah, oh, California. Right. <laughs> Come on over. I don't know. You I'll bet. California seems to be sinking, though. <laughs> Spiritually. It, 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 but hey, Big time. Yes, it is. It's true. But, you know, hey, there's just more work for the Lord to do here. So it's Absolutely. a good place. The light shines brighter in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Amen right. to that. That's That'll right. preach right yeah. there. <laughs> Pretty Gregaris, thank you so much for being on the show. Man, what a testimony. I'll yes, tell sir. you what. <laughs> I can't just get over how he how he led us in there, you know, and I'm 
I'm uh, thinking this movie scene in my head and the, through the whole, almost the whole testimony. That'd, that'd be quite, quite a book. I hope that maybe one day you, you uh, decide to sit down and maybe write out your memoirs there. That'd be a great book. So yeah, th- thanks for that feedback. I, I really did. I I really think like when I wrote it, um, you know, on on my blog, and I was writing it, you know, a more recent version too. I was uh, I really wanted it to capture people's attention from the get go and to hook them. And so that's why, if you realize, I start my story in the middle from you know my mm-hmm. encounter with my dad, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, oh, I was born in the Christian family, blah blah blah. It's mm-hmm. like, it was boring, but. You know, my dad's talking all these delusions and all this stuff. I'm like, hey, that's captivating, you know. That's amazing. And Mark Mark uh, had told me uh, that wait till you hear Peter's story. You will you will just be blown away. And he was not wrong. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. So praise the Lord, man. I'll tell you what what a great show. And that was uh, that was two twelve. Two twelve. Right there. Right there. Does that number mean anything to you, Peter? At all? Two twelve? Two twelve? I don't know. It sounds it sounds like a really good number. Why why do I have good feelings about this? I don't know. Sometimes I, I we we tend to ask guests sometimes you know with their their particular session number if it means anything. And sometimes people go, oh yeah, I was I was married on that date or I got saved, and then the other half, you know. So sometimes uh, some neat things come out of it. God's a number. Yeah, I got I got to look that up. <laughs> well, two twelve equals five, and I'm looking at the number five right there, and five stands for grace. Ooh, amen. That's my look at that. that. That's one of my favorite numbers. How about that? There you go. Yeah, five, five, five means five. Yeah, that's what's a really good point. Actually, did you say two one two? So yeah, two plus one is three. Three plus two is five. Yep, that's it. The number of grace. That's I have my. I even own my own business. My business is called Grace Digital Solutions. Well, look at that. Wow. <laughs> and you wonder why I ask. Uh huh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everything about my life is grace, grace, grace. Oh, amen to that. Well, we wouldn't all be sitting here. And we we think to ourselves sometimes, you know, why did he choose us to be stewards of God Stories Radio? Mm-hmm. I mean, but I thank him every single day for it. Just having a blast. Amen. So. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Peter, for being with us. And yes, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in on Mixler. And uh, what an amazing testimony. So, uh, well, that about wraps it up for session 212. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. God bless. God bless. God bless. In my weakest moment, I see you shaking your head in disgrace. I can read the disappointment. Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Cause grace could never reach that far But in the shadow of that shame
Mercy floods a thirsty soul The broken side begins to heal And grace returns with guilty stole And in the shadow of that shame Beat down by all the blame I hear you call my name Saying it's not over And my heart starts to beat so loud Now drowning out the doubt I'm down but I'm not out There's no war between Guilt and grace And they're fighting for a sin Part of you and me. 